0: Welcome to the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast for another example of astronomy and astronomy-related misconceptions, mistakes, half-truths, and even conspiracies. My name is Stuart Robbins, and this is episode 155 for the first half of January 2017. The topic I'm going to talk about today is whether a revision to our scientific knowledge is evidence for the Mandela Effect. For those of you who do not travel, or at least hover around, fringe communities, you likely have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. Allow me to explain. There is an idea in paranormal circles that the reality as we know it, or as many of us don't know it, is constantly being rewritten, but that there are errors in this total rewrite, kind of like glitches in The Matrix. Those errors most often manifest in completely random people who seem to be able to remember things the way they were really, and the way they actually happened in the old reality, but those memories don't match up with the new reality because, quite obviously, reality has changed. They sometimes claim physical evidence for those, like fuzzy pictures and old movies or patent applications, but... More generally, just the idea that many other people, they claim, remember reality the way that they remember it as opposed to the way it is now. It's often termed the Mandela Effect because of the prominent recollection by many people that Nelson Mandela died in prison in the 1980s when, in this reality, he died in 2013 of an illness. I first heard this idea when I was a guest on the Reality Check podcast, episode 363, I talked about Pluto and the New Horizons mission that just flew past it a month earlier. I was then paired with a segment by Adam who talked about the spelling of the popular children's book, The Berenstain Bears. People seem to think that it was always spelled with an E-I-N at the end, but in this reality it's spelled with an A-I-N, as in Berenstain as opposed to Berenstein. Honestly, at the time, I was a little surprised that I was paired with such an utterly ridiculous segment. But then, in the various shows that I listened to to get ideas for this podcast, this phenomenon started to be talked about more. Things like, does the evil queen in Snow White say, mirror, mirror on the wall, as most people remember it, or magic mirror on the wall, without the alliteration? Or the very famous line from Star Wars, Luke, I am your father, in this reality is, no, I am your father. This is going to be a less detailed, in-depth, and lengthy episode than usual, Why? Because I'm not really going to debunk this. It's simply not possible to argue a point with someone who believes that reality has been rewritten. In fact, the more that I would argue about it, they would claim that's more evidence for their conspiracy because I simply have been rewritten as opposed to them who have not been rewritten. It's one of those cases where, literally, you cannot win, and the old line by Stephen Novella generally holds, evidence for the conspiracy is evidence for the conspiracy. Evidence against the conspiracy is also evidence for the conspiracy. Instead, I'm going to give you three things. First is my own Mandela Effect situation. Before I was born, my mother was in an accident where she lost one of her legs below the hip but above the knee. I very, very distinctly remember asking her many, many years ago what happened, and she very clearly and distinctly told me that she was in a parking lot, going to work, and someone hit her in the parking lot. She was a psychiatric nurse at the time. However, many years later, I was telling someone that story, and she thought that I was crazy. She insisted. She never told me that. What happened was she had been a nurse, and there was a car accident on the side of the highway. She pulled over, got out of her car to see if she could help. A drunk driver in a truck hit her, and she was flung against the guardrail, which hit on both of her legs. One could be saved. The other could not. Those are very, very different stories. One in a parking lot. One on the highway one involving an additional accident, one not. At the time, we joked about switching realities, but it was chalked up to just a simple false memory. And of course, it could have nothing to do with the fact that I was around five when she told me the story that I remember first. The second thing that I want to talk about is confabulation confabulation in psychiatry is a disturbance of one's memory. Any disturbance, really, such as uh, producing false memories, distorted memories, or misinterpreted memories about the world or oneself without any conscious intention to do so. In other words, I wasn't trying to mess up the story about how my mom lost one of her legs, it just happened in my mind without any conscious intent to do so. But because it's still their memory, or in this case, my memory of how my mom originally allegedly told this story, they're most often extremely confident about that memory despite any contradictory evidence. I definitely remember that first version of the story. But that's not what happened. Does that mean that I changed realities? I don't think so. I think that I was 5 or 6 and my memory just was faulty at the time. So what could the Mandela Effect be? Could it be a psychiatric phenomenon where perhaps a single error in the retrieval of a long-term memory leads to this kind of misremembering? Or could it be a massive distortion of the entire universe by maybe a quantum computer in order to mess with the spelling of popular brands of cereal that could be spelled, or should be spelled, F-R-U-I-T, but instead is spelled F-R-O-O-T because they don't actually contain any fruit? I'll leave it to you, the audience, to decide. The third thing that I wanted to address here is what the Mandela effect is not. It is not an excuse, or should not be an excuse, for people to be lazy with their understanding of how science works. Here's a clip of Laurie McDonald giving what she claims is some evidence for the Mandela effect. But if we want to ask ourselves what
1: timeline are we in, here's the question that'll really uh, blow your mind. Um... Astrophysicists had always said that we in the universe in the Milky Way are specifically in the Sagittarius arm of the Milky Way. But now astrophysicists are saying that we're in the Orion Spur, which is a smaller arm, or sometimes some physicists or um, astronomers call it the Orion Arm. It's really only a spur, though, but that's where they're saying our consciousness is coming from that in fact we are a reflection of our true self or our higher self or our highest consciousness is being imbued into this uh, specific avatar this of humanity and that for somehow our consciousness has shifted perspective out of the sagittarius arm and now our perspective is from the orion arm now and if you were to look at the milky way up into the sky uh, look at it now in terms of say an old record album the where you would put the needle to play the first song that's where the sagittarius arm would be the hole where you would drop the lp down on would be the center the orion arm is on the other side of that and we would been moved about halfway through the record, <laughs> so we've been right, right, right. So, our, so, so, can that can we physically be moved like that? No. Can our consciousness be moved like that? And our alpha consciousness, higher self perspective, be viewing reality now from that Orion spur? And of all of the hypotheses uh, and theories of what the Mandela effect might be. The aspect of our consciousness shifting rings the truest to my
0: heart.
2: Right, 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 right.
0: Uh, yeah, sure. So, I thought that this was an anomaly, but when I heard it, I noted it for a future episode, because this was the first time that I had heard anyone actually reference something astronomical as evidence for the Mandela Effect. Then, serendipitously, about a week later, I was listening to Heather Wade on her Midnight in the Desert program she had on Roy Horn, and this idea came up again. The program was supposed to be talking about the Mandela Effect, but they got sidetracked when Roy announced that he thought that Earth was flat. Honestly, this was a very, very difficult few hours to listen to due to the solid denial of reality and making up of all of the information that he claimed was real, but I listened to it, so you don't have to. So here's a two-minute clip that's relevant to this discussion.
2: But there I is. I know what I've seen, but I don't know exactly. Well, but we're right here on the spiral arm on the outer edge of the Milky Way Where galaxy, and I can hey, go, 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 go. I can you go should. outside right now and look up at the sky, and Heather. I can see the spiral arm of the Milky Way right across the sky. What what is that? Well, listen, Heather, the uh, you you mentioned Neil deGrasse Tyson. If you pull up uh uh you can go to YouTube and just search uh Neil deGrasse Tyson Sagittarius Arm and and he'll say in his uh, show Star Talk and he'll say uh Manhattan, New York City, New York State, uh United States, North American continent, Earth, uh, solar system. Milky Way, and then he'll say Sagittarius Arm, and that's what I remember, that long arm way out there in the, you know, we're at the very end of it, at the outskirts of this thing, well, and that's what Neil deGrasse Tyson says on his show, Star Talk. well, this earth has never, ever been on the Sagittarius Arm, you can Google it right now, and this earth is on the other side of the center of the Milky Way, uh, in a Orion stub, a little stub of an arm called Orion. When I go out now the stars make no sense and I've I follow the stars every night for I do not know thirty or four years and I can't they make no sense to me right now. But where this earth is supposedly I say supposedly because I don't I have no way of proving that I lived on an earth that was at the Sagittarius arm, but that's what I remember. And this Earth is the Orion stub. And it's not way out there on the end of an arm. It's about halfway between the center of the Milky Way and the outer edge on a little arm called uh, Orion, a little stub of an arm.
0: Okay. And uh, Well, I mean, we gotta, we gotta take a break here right now. <laughs> um... I think it's important to note that I've heard numerous people be interviewed about the Mandela Effect, and they tend to sound about the same. I did not just choose two people who sound a bit, shall we say, crazy, in order to make this concept sound even more silly than it really does. Uh, With that disclaimer out of the way, what's going on here? The issue is that science continues, and it marches forward our knowledge about the universe. For this discussion, I read up a lot on the history of observations of the Milky Way galaxy and what people thought of its structure. I'm going to skip forward to the 1900s after what is known as the Great Debate in astronomy, and we finally recognize that our galaxy, which is a collection of stars, gas, and dust, is just one of many in the universe. With that said, it had already been established that our galaxy was a rotating disk, meaning that instead of a spherical distribution of material, it's flattened in one direction, and all of the material within it tends to orbit around the center in a direction that's perpendicular to that flattening, pretty much literally like a spinning plate, although it's a little bit more uh, subtle in some of the details. Important for this discussion is that we are embedded within that disk of material, That's why we see a band of stars across our sky. That band is us looking through the disk. The band, in reality, stretches 360 degrees around us. But it looks like it's only in about half of that area because that's where it's brightest. From that simple observation, we know that we are not in the middle of our galaxy. The reason that it looks brighter in one direction is because that's the direction of most of the stars. If most of the stars in the galaxy are in one direction in our sky, instead of being even across the entire band, then we know that we can't be in the center. We also surmised a century ago that we were in a spiral galaxy rather than an elliptical or irregular galaxy, and those are really only the three main types. Uh, there are uh, sort of transitional forms and some lenticular galaxies, but really, those are the two basic main types, or three basic main types, spiral elliptical, and irregular. We knew that we were in a spiral because we were in a flattened disk and because of the average color of the material in our galaxy. Elliptical galaxies tend to be older, they have less dust, and so they're redder than spiral galaxies. In comparison, spiral galaxies have lots of young, big, blue stars, and they have lots of dust and gas in order to keep making those young stars. Because of all of the dust in our galaxy, Because we were in a flattened disk, and because of the overall color, we figured out that we are in a spiral-type galaxy. Making more detailed observations is hard because of dust. In effect, dust is really, really good at blocking the main kind of light that we'd like to look in, namely visible light. That's why, if you look towards the center of the galaxy, it's not uniform in brightness, but it has splotches and bands and areas that appear darker. That's dust between us and the stars behind it. But we can look at other wavelengths of light to see through the dust and examine other kinds of material. Using microwave telescopes in the 1950s, astronomers were able to map out the motion of hydrogen gas towards or away from us within the galaxy. And the light from this was not blocked by other stuff at microwave wavelengths. Building up a map of the motions of gas, astronomers were able to revise the shape of our galaxy from a simple spiral to a barred spiral. This was later confirmed with more observations with radio telescopes of gas in the galaxy. A barred spiral is pretty much the same as a regular spiral, except that instead of just a a spherical or spheroidal clump of stars in the middle, there is that still clump in the middle. But then beyond that, there's sort of a band of stars, a thick band that extends from the clump, and it's from that band that most of the spiral arms tend to originate. So it's like a spiral, except that it has a bar shape in the middle, as opposed to just a regular spiral. And so we went from thinking that we are the entire universe, to we're just an island of stars, to we're a flattened, rotating disk that's spiral-shaped, and then revised to a barred spiral. Every spiral galaxy has arms. That's kind of one of the core definitions. But those arms are not simple. If you look at pictures of regular or barred spiral galaxies, you'll see that if you squint your eyes, you do see reasonably distinct spiral arms. But those arms are not solid features, and they're not simple in that it's just an arm of material and that's it. Instead, the arms have subarms, like branches from a tree, and we often refer to them as spurs. So the simple picture of even just a barred spiral galaxy with a few arms off the center is now complicated further because those arms can have branches, and those branches can appear to bridge two different arms together. In other words, nature isn't necessarily as simple as the way that we may like to imagine it, nor is it necessarily as simple as what you may have been taught in school. But more than that, As we make better and more detailed observations over the years, we can refine our knowledge about the way things are. I already took you through that process with the very basic shape of the galaxy as a whole, but nearby, that's in the details. Over the years, we have made those more detailed observations to try to understand better the structure of our galaxy. In fact, right now, there's an ongoing mission by the European Space Agency called Gaia. This is a project that's going to, or is actively doing, uh, trying to map out the positions and velocities and a bunch of other stuff of about one billion objects, including about 1% of the population of all stars within the Milky Way galaxy. It's going to be able to determine the three-dimensional position of stars all the way to the center of our galaxy, 30,000 light years away, to about a level of 10%. It'll be able to measure the stars that are much closer to a much higher precision. And so we're still doing experiments to try to better understand the structure of our galaxy and our position in it. When I went uh, to grade school, when I was in grade school, I was taught that the Milky Way had about five spiral arms, and we were inside of one of them. Now, what we think is actually the case is that we're in a spur of an arm between two of the main ones. And here's where I need to be clear about something, and where this issue of the Mandela effect does or does not come up. Our position in the galaxy has not changed appreciably in the last 100 years, despite what the people in those clips stated. What has changed is simply our understanding of the distribution of stars, gas, and dust, and what's around us out to a few thousand light years. In a galaxy that's a hundred thousand light years across, we're really looking at the nitty gritty details here. And that's all that it really is. I can't find the ages of the individuals that I played the clips of, but just based on references that they made as well as basic population statistics, I'm going to suspect that they're older than I am. If they went to school in the 1950s, 60s, or even 1970s, they were likely taught that the basic structure of the galaxy was a simple spiral with about five spiral arms coming off of that center bulge and we're in the Sagittarius arm, or maybe even the Orion arm. When I was in grade school in the 1990s, I remember books in the library at school showing the Milky Way as a simple spiral galaxy with a specific picture of the Andromeda galaxy as saying that's what we probably look like, although smaller. And that was several decades after astronomers knew that we were a barred spiral galaxy. But it hadn't yet trickled down to grade school levels and the books in the school libraries, well, they were a little old. Believe it or not, books can be wrong. Some of what you're taught in school may also be wrong. Sometimes even scientists are going to simplify things, and they're willing to be only, say, 98% correct in their explanation in order to make it much, much more understandable to their audience. Going back over 10 episodes now, remember, Earth is a sphere. Almost a perfect sphere. But, if you want to be more correct, it bulges in the middle by one part in 300, so there's about a 0.3% deviation from a sphere. And, if you want to be even more detailed and more correct, on top of that 0.3% deviation are more, even smaller deviations. The same thing goes for using this particular claim as evidence for the Mandela effect. Just because what you remember... Correctly or incorrectly, that you were taught in school isn't quite what's being discussed in scientific circles today, does not mean that the entirety of reality has been rewritten, that what you think you remember is exactly the way things were in your previous reality, and that exactly what's being discussed today as you think you're understanding it is proof that you're now in a different one. There are three additional shorter segments in this episode. First is the logical fallacy. For the logical fallacy in this episode, I give you the argumentum ad populum, or the argument from popularity. This is the basic fallacy of strength in numbers, or the bandwagon fallacy, where just because everybody else is doing it or thinks something, it must be right. I often hear this from people who claim that UFOs are aliens or that ghosts exist, that millions of people can't be wrong. Well, yes, yes they can. And just because many people think that they remember the spelling of certain things one way instead of another, or movie lines one way instead of another, or even someone dying when they didn't does not mean that that actually happened and that now you have proof that reality has changed. For the second segment, as a follow-up to episode 146, where I documented Marshall Master's claims of Planet X since about 2003, up until September of 2016, he was on Coast to Coast AM again on January 10th of 2017. And again, he said that Planet X was now coming late this year, November, and that it would be as big as the moon. I'm not going to play that clip for you, as I think that's gratuitous at this point, but I have it documented such that if I do end up doing another follow-up episode, say in 2018 when Planet X hasn't killed most of the population of the planet, I can pull it out. For the third part, or the third additional segment of this episode, two announcements. First is that I was on the most recent episode of the very popular Monster Talk podcast, They don't appear to number their episodes, so if you're the ghost of listener future, it's the episode that came out on January 11th of 2017, entitled One Rogue Planet, A Star Warrior Story. It's a very stream-of-consciousness feel, uh, even though there were originally a set series of logical questions, but, yeah, that's what sometimes happens. The episode is meant to be listened to After the one two episodes before it, from December 21st of 2016, where they interviewed a former guest of this podcast, Michael Heiser, who talked about his work on Zacharias Sitchin and his Planet X ideas and the Anunnaki and all that kind of stuff. As such, the interview that I did was mostly about Planet X and the failed predictions by various people over the years. The next announcement is that, with this being the first episode of a new Gregorian calendar year, I still expect to be able to churn out two episodes per month at some point in the month, and I have at least a few special guests planned in the near future. As I've had issues announcing guests in the past who later didn't actually show up, uh, I'm going to hold off on saying who they are or when they'll be on until it actually happens, but stay tuned. That wraps up this topic for the 155th edition of the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed it and learned a little at the same time. For more information about this podcast, please visit the website at podcast.sjrdesign.net. If you have any feedback, please use the feedback form on the website, or you can email directly podcast at sjrdesign.net it's just the website url but replace the first period with an at sign you can also leave a comment on the page for this episode on the website on the blog post for the episode on the facebook page for the podcast or you can tweet me on twitter at pseudo astro i do read every message and appreciate the feedback even if i don't often respond uh, if you have suggestions for topics please feel free to make them Also, please write a review and rate this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or now on Google Play, so you can go there too, or another podcast website or portal of choice. If you liked it, then tell friends, family, and maybe even real people that you do know in real life who aren't friends or family.